welcome everyone to the Inside the 90s podcast. I'm your host, Kyle, and we got some friends on the show today. We got Kenan and Jay. It's a great soccer Saturday here, September 3rd. A lot of great games going on. Today we're going to talk about culture and how we grew up. And, uh, you know, growing up, growing up as a kid uh, in the Gulf Coast of Texas, you know, I did a lot of travel ball. I played high school ball. And, you know, it, 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 it's a lot for a kid to handle, especially, you know, playing in and out of high school, playing clubs and, you know, traveling up to Dallas and Austin, San Antonio and everything. So we're just going to talk about culture and how you guys grew up. Well, Kyle, mentioning culture, I think, is huge everywhere in football impacts, wherever you are. So, you know, I'm sure that it was night and day difference from whether you grew up in Texas or somewhere up north in the country or even on another continent. But for my case, I was really lucky enough to be exposed in Europe to football because it is everything. And um, uh, being a kid in a post-war society in Bosnia and Herzegovina uh, after the war was finished, uh, football was everything most people really even had. Even most of the stadiums were destroyed and the grass fields were not there, but I think it brought a lot of communities together. And I remember the first post-war derby between two big clubs in the city was everything. I mean, we're talking about people from different clubs uh, or from rivalry clubs going to work on each other's uh, fields to get the grass up and running and to get the to get the chairs put back and to to, to paint the stadium and uh, these are these were huge rival teams in playing in champ, uh, prior European championships and qualifications throughout Europe and then when the war happened everything they had was destroyed from their trophy rooms to 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 this to the field itself and I, I saw that it brings people together in the time of struggle. And it was just fascinating, and that's really why I fell in love with football. And I see that all throughout the world, no matter what continent you're on. It always just brings out the best in people. I'm sure you've seen the same, Jay, down in uh, Florida. Yes, sir. Uh, I, I mean, I grew up uh, in Florida and also in South Carolina, so I experienced uh, a lot of uh, a different, you know, culture. Uh, in, in Miami, where I, I was born, uh, I noticed the... Uh, I was too young to experience it, but I remember just like when when those big clubs or even uh, Honduran soccer teams would come have games out in uh, Florida, we would go out and we would go see those games with my family. Um, but and just the the area alone, like you were just you know, you just had, soccer was was there. It was pretty like easy and to come about. Uh, when I moved to South Carolina, though, where, where I grew up most of my life, uh, before, it, it was a very, like, American, typical American culture, you know, f- uh, American football and basketball was the norm. So a funny story was I didn't I didn't love football until I was uh, in my teenage years. Um, I thought I was going to be a basketball player my whole life, <laughs> uh, but... Uh, but I always was around uh, football or soccer, and uh, it was a it was a blast. You know, I, I did I just did it for fun. Uh, but growing up around a lot of Hondurans, uh, which is from my dad's side, um, Cubans for the most part, which is my mom's side, we usually liked baseball. Um, 
but uh but I, I i loved soccer and basketball growing up and uh specifically uh when i moved to uh in 2006 it was uh when i like completely fell in love with uh with soccer i remember watching uh italy um and uh a couple other teams that year and i was just excited i talked i remember talking to my cousins uh when we were in north carolina working and uh we'd have like a little tiny tv when we were out there and i'd be like hey just so you guys know, at the start of the World Cup, I told them Italy's going to win this World Cup. Everyone thought I was crazy. <laughs> and to the World Cup, they were lifting the trophy. Um, but it was a uh, it was a great time, you know. Culture wise, uh, I my soccer experience has always been with Hondurans, um, and uh, it's always been a blast, you know, just learning a little bit about that, and it helped bring me closer to my roots uh, back in that that area of the of the world. Uh, well, there's no, there's not a better time to fall, fall into than 2006. Oh I mean, man, I feel that was the yes, of the 90s yeah. meeting the 2000s. You know? <laughs> that was uh, the 2006 World Cup. That was the, uh, that's the infamous uh, Zinedine Zidane incident, right? Yes, it's sir. Nice. That is yeah. correct. Yeah, I remember I watched that at Buffalo Wild Wings in Houston, and everyone just lost it. <laughs> it was just it was just wild. I was with some friends and oh, there's beer everywhere and like I knew the I knew the uh, the owner of the of that location and she was like, I can't believe that just happened. I'm like yeah. Welcome to the sport. Yeah. So it was a... in in Florida, what's the what's the Honduran culture like uh, in in the soccer world? Like, you know, being from being from the south you know we you know i'm a huge college football fan and you know and and i think especially like in houston you know tailgating and and i know it's big in atlanta as well tailgating for soccer games is now becoming a thing um is food you know a big culture thing in honduran soccer world um i don't i can't really uh, attest to that too well but i mean uh i know food in miami is definitely huge <laughs> um and then cuban culture wise uh it was it's always been very distinct food uh in honduras there's a couple of distinct dishes and things but uh you know I, as you guys know it's it's more of a third world country so um most of the like the, the dishes are uh, you could say are more poor looking um they're still amazing they still taste delicious uh, uh when i would go visit with my my parents we'd go and i remember having my favorite dish was uh pollo con tajadas um and that was uh, uh it was literally fried chicken um uh, yeah it is fried chicken tajadas are the <laughs> yeah the tajadas were plantains which they would like uh slice up almost like chips uh but they were like, just like a little bit thicker so it was like a crunch but soft um and then they had like a sauce they would put on top of that. They'd have like a cabbage salad and uh, that had its own sauce as well. And the same sauce would go on top of the chicken. And there were different sauces, both of those. So like like that was one of my favorite dishes. Another one was uh, baleadas, which uh, are super easy. It's almost like a taco, which it was just a, my favorite was uh, growing up was uh, flour tortillas. Um, and it was a flour tortilla with like beans, uh, eggs, and then um, it was usually Honduran cheese, which is a little bit harder. Um, and uh, something called crema is what we call it. And it was kind of like sour cream, but 
but smoother um, and uh, with a, a lot. Yeah. And it's a lot better tasting than, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, just listening to the ingredients, you guys wouldn't think anything too crazy, right? The, the majority of the culture was for, for me, at least the area I, uh, my family lived in was, was very poor and we would just eat everything with tortillas. Like I remember the first time I went as a child, uh, I was kind of like shocked because I was like, Hey, can I get a fork? And, uh, they're like, no, you just eat with the tortillas. <laughs> and that's just kind of how it was. You just, you'd, you'd rip a piece of the tortilla, you'd like grab it the food and then you just like put it in your mouth and you'd eat that way as like the tortilla was basically your silverware i mean food food's appealing i think in the in the scene that we have now like you know you see you see like down in uh, uh, uh atlanta united there that's a huge scene of tailgating oh, yeah. and all this and that but to me football that's not what it's about i mean it it just really doesn't matter. It's all about the club. It's all about what the club stands for. And I think that's what's going to be appealing here and how, how we, how that's marketed. But as far as uh, culture, I think and that's what's interesting is what's going to make it appealing here uh, in, in North America. So uh, as for me, going out to a game revolves all around the beer, scarves, fans, and loud chanting. But, you know... Uh, Somebody, uh, I see things that are different here in the States, whether it's the NBA or the NFL, it's done a little bit differently and there's nothing wrong with that. So, you know, I think that's where culture plays a big thing. I think in the U.S. people love to talk about food, whereas in Europe people go out to coffee in the first thing in the morning. So it all, it's all about what's going to be appealing and give these clubs their um, their identities. Like if you if you compare Portland Timbers to, to Minnesota, um, two different cultures and just in the clubs alone. Oh, yeah. And I think their geographic locations give them that. So. Yeah, I know, like, when I, I've been to a handful of Portland Timbers games, and, you know, you got to hit up Voodoo Donuts up in Portland, uh, which is always a hot spot. And the area right around the stadium uh, is a really nice area. Um, and it, 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 Portland fans are, are, are awesome, and they're probably arguably some of the best fans in the MLS. Uh, I know in Houston, you know, and we have a lot of South American culture and Mexican culture and in Houston. And, you know, we have the drums and the tambourines and, you know, and they, they do like the, the, the walk and everything. And I know a lot of other, a lot of other MLS uh, fan organizations are whatever you want to call them, hooligan organizations, you know, the new term of hooligan, not the traditional right. soccer team term hooligan because it's different but uh you know all these different organizations are making more of that european culture into mls which is great i'm not the biggest mls fan for numerous for countless reasons right but but like we always i don't know i don't know if listeners have seen you know the intro or the first or so episodes of uh welcome to Wrexham, right it's a fantastic show and like even they talk about it's not about you know this this and this it's about it's about family it's about the city it's about representing it's about going to the pub with your with your best friend with your mates you know <laughs> and you know screaming your lungs out like i remember i did that at double tap pub up in boise and we used to go up there and we used to scream and and everything up there um and I would love for more of that pub culture to come into the MLS. I think it's slowly starting to get there. Um, 
unfortunately, keyword slowly, but uh, you're starting to see more uh, key figures um, start, you know, owning rights to teams or just partaking in the games. And I mean, what was it? Austin FC has uh, Matthew McConaughey going to all the games now. I don't know if he's part owner or not, but I know he's there. Yeah, um, I, I think what. Yeah, when it, when it comes to culture, though, for me, I always think national teams. Because um, to me, when it comes to culture, you think pride first, and and also local community. So for me, I uh, I didn't I don't like the MLS as much for various reasons, but I still enjoy watching some games, especially recently. Once uh, obviously Miami uh, got a team, uh, because for me, you know, that was where I grew up some of my life and then where all of my family is and to me what i like about it right now is the what david beckham and company are doing they've geared it towards the people of that area they even titled the club uh, in a spanish title you know um club internacional de fútbol miami you know which is kind of unorthodox for an american team i'd say but the majority of the population there knows spanish uh, or is from other parts of you know South America or Central America. So so that was pretty cool. Yeah, and it, it's stuff like that that's going to make it you know stand out and give it that little that little charm and yeah. to it. I mean, even with that NFL, a lot of those teams are, are named after like the Vikings. A lot of people in Minnesota come from you know Scandinavia or the Steelers in Pittsburgh. They had steel mills that. That is a very interesting culture. Now, I don't, as far as, I think the franchises took that culture away from them. But when, when you're giving that touch to, to those local cities of what they're all about, then, like, that's, that's what I was uh, mentioning between Portland and Atlanta United. You know, down in the south, food is more prevalent than in Oregon, whereas in Oregon, it's, you know, timber and cutting. And, you know, the, the, the Portland timbers can't have the same style Atlanta has, and that's what makes it unique. So this whole tailgating thing, if every team was to do it, I think it would, it wouldn't be, uh, you know, it wouldn't be as, as much of a charm. Do you, how, in, can it, when, in, in the European culture, I know, especially in your, in your culture, like how has, uh, this, how has the culture expanded over the years? You know, like we've seen kind of it bleed, different cultures bleed into others, right? So how has it expanded on your side? Well, on, on our side, a lot of people have went abroad to play. Uh, they, they went into these big five leagues like Turkey, Spain, Germany, England, and with every, everything else. But what it, what it did is, is it killed the domestic league because the money isn't there and the players obviously leave whenever they have a better chance. So as far as bleeding over into other leagues, that, that's really what it's done. And a lot of these other leagues that people don't watch, like in Poland or Slovakia or Sweden or Austria, they're the ones uh, gearing the players and then the big clubs are buying them. So in itself, it's almost like a franchise just in a different way. Um, but you know, money is the yeah, primes the pump, and that's just the way it is. So that that's really how it's bled over. Whereas prior 1990 in Europe, you had players staying in in their countries until they were 27, 28, and then going to play abroad. Even the French league has experienced this. They've they've struggled very very much with keeping players in their domestic league, and their teams. Um, 
have taken a huge toll on that. Before the French teams could be, you could see just about 14 of them competing at the highest level, and now you have two or three. So that's what I've seen as far as bleeding over into other leagues and countries. I think, I think that it would be... I, you know, you see a lot of teams, you know, a lot of... And I, I think a lot of those those countries don't have, obviously, the, the money or the ownership or, you know, of some of these... Because, like, you, know, you know, Lewandowski is Polish, but he plays... He played in Germany, and now he plays in, you know, Barcelona. You know, Zinchenko. Zinchenko's Ukrainian. Now he played for Manchester City, and now he plays for Arsenal. So I think it just, you know... It, it, I don't know if it really comes down to money, because if you think about it, you know, you want to... If you're a player like that, you want to play for the best team that's going to give you the best opportunity, whether it's, you know, youth 14, youth 15, all the way up to first division. So I think, you know, it, you, you want the opportunity there. So if, you know, whatever country it is, you want to play where the opportunity is at, you know. And, you know, Martin Olegaard, right? Olegaard is, is Norwegian, right? And he played in Barcelona. He played in Barcelona when he was, I think, 12 or 14 years old. Uh, so, not Barcelona, sorry. Real Madrid. Yeah. And, you know, and now he plays for Arsenal. I'm, Ars I'm obviously an Arsenal fan. But, and he, you know, a lot of these a lot of these kids and a lot of these players, and you can even look at, you know, even youth 12 teams, you know. You know, you see it every now and then, like, oh, this team signed a player, right? And you're like, he's 8 years old, 12 years old. You know, <laughs> you know, so, like, it, it's, 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 where, it's not necessarily where the money's at. I think it's where, where the opportunity's at. Because if you have that name, that monarch, you know, behind your name, then you know, all you grew, all you went through the Liverpool Academy. Oh, okay, okay, you know, and, and I think that 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 kind of, that kind of royalty or stature kind of carries weight. It does, but I think that that money does have something to do with it. Because I mean, with money, you can have the best youth program, best coaches. Um, but it also comes down to, you know, your name, like you said, because, you know, Barcelona and uh, Ajax and all these other, Real Madrid, Chelsea, they have some of the best, you know, programs that they have for youth. You see talents leave and go to other places all the time and they succeed or do well. Um, and and it, it comes down to, yeah. They get plucked every all the time, but they're also in a, in a yeah. and then the, every year they also have a new promising player come up too. Well, to, to me personally, one of the coolest leagues that is is still classic is the Dutch league. I, I love mm -hmm. their league, and Ajax takes so much of that. I mean, they're from the capital city, and that's where a lot of the funding goes. They're a port city, and they're one of the biggest ones in Holland, and that's why they are the club they are. But you have teams like uh, Feyenoord, PSV, uh, yeah. AZ, uh, AZ Alkmaar, and, and many more of their teams have great talents. I mean, they've, they've been producing for years for top-tier teams. And I think that's what I love in the Dutch league is even though Ajax has vortexed a lot of that financing, um, I, I think the rest of their league is phenomenal and so are their youth programs, if not the best youth programs in Europe. And like you said, it's not it doesn't take it takes the money to have the best programs, but it also takes something with a little bit of mix to it. So, yeah, I really enjoyed watching the, the Dutch league grow, and I'm surprised they're not bigger. But you know, if some if some 
uh, tycoon from the Middle East were to take over French teams, they would be doing the same thing. They'd be on the same level uh, of these other guys. So as far as uh, I think, I think as far as culture in Europe and, and, and when it comes to that, uh, I think a lot of people do mind where it went and they're still adjusting to that. So. I, th I think that, do you, so here's a question. We, we've seen it probably the last, arguably the last 10 years. We just saw it recently with, you know, the, the takeover from Chelsea, right, from Abramovich, um, the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, from, from, from American owners, right? And then we know the Glazers own Manchester United and uh, Arsenal's owned by, uh, what's his face, the NFL owner that owns... Uh, the Rams, not the Rams. Um, Vinal Paketsma or Carrying Sports and Entertainment? No, it's, uh, yeah, the Cronkies. The Cronkies? The, uh, Entertainment, yeah, they own 100%. Yes, Cronky. Yeah, Stan, Stan <laughs> yeah. Cronky. Daniel, yeah, and, and 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 that's the thing is like, who even cares who owns these things? Like, it should matter. Like my city versus your city. Like, that that's where the pride needs to come. If we're playing Miami and and you're from New York, it should be a clash of culture. It shouldn't be, you know, this guy owns uh, the the team and this is what he's bringing to the team. It should be what the what what does a New Yorker mean to New York FC? What is a what does a cat from Miami that grew up in Vice City mean to the city? That's yeah. what it should come down to, and I think that's where the culture is skewed. But yeah. I, I think the difference—I think the difference though—is in the U.S. I mean, I'm sure it happens in Europe a lot too. But in the U.S., you see a lot of people move around a lot, um, or they grow up in a new city where their culture wasn't originally from. So you know, I mean, look at, like for me, my kids all were born in Idaho, and I was born in, in Miami. So, like, culture-wise, they're still going to learn my culture, but if for some, you know, crazy reason they want to, you know, learn more about Idaho while we were there, then maybe they're, they're going to want to learn more about that culture or that area in general. Absolutely. And I totally understand that. And, and coming to Minnesota when I was a teenager, uh, I lived in a, in a city that had a lot of immigrants from all over the, uh, all, a, a lot of countries in Africa, a lot of Kurds, a lot of Turks, a lot of... Uh, Poles, uh, a few Bosnians, um, there was literally people from just about everywhere and all these people, the way they learned how to play, the way they acted, the way, it was all different and every, you could say that their culture impacted all of that heavily. Um, you know, you had the kids that were from that city, their parents grew up there and now they had good jobs. They were better funded and everything was to play in a club you had to fund where a lot if you wanted to play the real ball you would go play with the mexicans you would go play with the liberians with the kids from ghana from togo from uh that with the kurds or or with, with these other social groups and the competition there was 10 times better because they're playing on a tennis court with two goals set up and they're playing six v six i mean under the lights that's better than any tournament you could go to, and that's where I think that's where culture, real that that's where football and culture really connect is at that smallest level. Yeah, that's where I think it starts at at, at the youth for sure, because because uh, I think that was the biggest problem with U.S. 
you know, soccer um, was, you know, it, and especially even now though, like, yeah, there are a lot of people love the game now, but I think for a very long time, it's been mostly people with money can put their children in a good program. And that's when you succeed in a good program, you start to love the game more. Or, or when you see it's a fun sport, you'll start playing it more. And uh, getting a chance to coach while I was in Idaho was awesome because I got to see the difference um, of, of two different programs and the, the side of money and the side of just uh, being able to show a new generation the, the passion for this sport. Um, and I, I think, you know, once you feel connected to it, like a little bit more of belonging to your community, your, the sport, you're going to have that passion for the sport. You're going to search like, oh, let me go watch, you know, Arsenal play a soccer game, you know, let me go watch, um, you know, Bayern, or let me just turn on and watch the Champions League at least. I know for me, when I was in, in 2006, like I told you, is when I fell in love with football. And that was because I started watching the World Cup. I'd never seen passion like that for a sport before. And just the fans, everything, the the community around me, it was just amazing. Like just how people would connect, watch the sport, pubs, everything, just just freaking out, watching a goal scored. You know, and because before that, I used to think just like most Americans, I was like, oh, man, it takes like 90 minutes just to see one goal scored. Well, you know what? The buildup is amazing. Watching the players counter, or defend, you know, struggle with each other. Uh, and then once that goal is scored, it's just that much more precious, um, that much more intense. Yeah, uh, so most definitely. I mean, look, looking even at LAFC and LA, do, do you guys follow LAFC and uh, the Galaxy, the different cultures they've established? Not too much. I mean, so LAFC literally sits in the center of the city, like next to the Coliseum of USC. And then you have Los Angeles Galaxy that's like up north in Torrance, which is a total suburb of Los Angeles. And it's in an industrial zone. Um, it's basically like huge parking lots where at LAFC, you're getting people walking to that stadium and, and supporting it. I mean, it's, it's more condensed, it's more packed. And just between those two stadiums, is I would say only about 12 miles that separate them, maybe a little more, maybe 20 miles. Huge difference in their in their um, in their support. So I mean, you know, I think just in LA alone, the culture is different when it comes to two clubs like that, and even in the MLS. I mean, look at look at London. I mean, London's probably the biggest, you know, suburb of soccer, probably maybe globally. Uh, there's probably what between all the tiers, there's probably 20 some odd teams, maybe give or take. So obviously the big ones are, you know, Chelsea, Arsenal, Tottenham, you know, uh, Fulham, you know, a handful of other ones. Uh, West Ham, another one, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, they're struggling this year. But uh, it's, I, I think, like, you, you, you gotta think about it, like, you know, some of these clubs are, you know, miles, right? Merseyside Derby, right? Liverpool, Everton, right? Right next to each other, right? So like how these how these I, I would think that kind of to my point earlier was like all these Euro European owners like in Germany right they have the fifty percent rule right that only fifty percent of the club can be owned by a entity or an organization or a person right the rest is owned by the city or an organization or fan groups so on and so forth so 
you know, when we saw the, you know, the fall of the, uh, the European uh, Super League, right? Everyone was saying that it was a clash of American owners. Not all of them were American owners, but a good amount of them, right? The Glazers and, you know, the, uh, the Cronkies and so on and so forth. Bringing that industrial American money complex, whatever you want to call it, into the European world. And now we're just kind of, you know, and you see everyone say, oh, it's not about the money. It's about people. It's about having a pint with your friends. It's about the town. It's about pride. It's about heritage, right? And a lot of these teams, a lot of these owners don't understand that, you know, obviously because they're stuck in an office somewhere or their private jet or whatever. Now, Josh Kroenke, because I'm an Arsenal fan and I, well, I've obviously watched the you know, the Arsenal documentary, which I think is actually pretty good. Uh, it's got a lot of criticism, but I think it's actually pretty good that Josh Kroenke actually sits on the Arsenal board in in London at, at Arsenal's training versus some of the other people, ownerships, they just kind of hand it off, right? I think Liverpool is owned by the same people that own, uh, I think, the Boston Red Sox or something like that, right? These people that are, are these big big-time ownership groups, maybe in, you know, the, the Sultans of Qatar, or it might be another one, right, or Abu Dhabi or whatever, right? How often do you think these people actually no, you're the right. culture individually of that town? If you, th like, like we just saw, what was the big, what was the last big takeover? Uh, 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 Newcastle. Yeah, Newcastle was the last biggest takeover, right? Multi-billionaire, billionaire, Sultan or whoever it was. Right, and now they're saying that Newcastle is going to be, you know, title contenders within a couple of years, right? Just because of that that influx of money. But do those people, those owners, actually understand the actual culture of that area? And nothing against Newcastle, so. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think. I think a lot of Newcastle success came, you know, in their they're up north in England. They're one of the most serious clubs up there. Uh, everyone around them supported them, and that's how they made it happen. Liverpool had dockyards, uh, you know, Everton, Liverpool. That's how they grew. They 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 grew from the dock workers and the industry that that brought to the port. Same with Marseille in France. It's on the port. That's how I grew it. Yeah, look at Italy. All the best teams come from the north where the industry is. Where the money, so the money was always prevalent. It's just that the workers in those, uh, in, in, in those uh, industries uh, primed the pump for the uh, success of those clubs. And I'm sure in England, you look at football in England in the 80s and 90s. I mean, it's the same thing. I mean, Newcastle was sponsored by, by their beer. Yeah. And that's how they, that's how they were. You know, that's how they were funded. 
And now we're in a new era, and it's honestly nice to see City enjoying the success that they are. Because for a long time, I really, I really liked watching them in the Premier League, and they just didn't have the firepower to make it further because they were so succumbed by United. So, when you guys, there's definitely been pros and cons. When you guys were growing up, right, I grew up in North Houston. When you guys were growing up, right, I, I played since, you know, I can walk practically. And, you know, every time I went somewhere, whenever I traveled to family in Kansas or uh, Louisiana, Florida, whatever, I always brought my soccer ball with. And I was always kicking my ball up on the roof, and the ball would bounce, and then I would chest it or head it to myself or practice my trap drills or my cut drills, stuff like that. Did you guys do that a lot when you were kids? Like, did you bring your, your ball everywhere you go just to work on your touch or just to get a couple of reps in? Oh, yeah, literally. It was always with me, man. I, it was in a bag. It was in something, but always. We would play on the beach. We would play on a tennis court. We would play on... On, on really anything, cement next to a coals where there was some light shining on the side and it was nine at night, we played everywhere. And now I'm actually seeing even more of that than when I was growing up because when we were growing up, it was weird. It was honestly mostly foreign kids that were doing it. And now I'm seeing it just being done. I'm seeing kids kick it around for no reason. You know, it's, it's as prevalent as tossing around a baseball. And I think that's what's really primed these clubs to be able to exist in the MLS that didn't before, uh, like the new ones that are coming through. So I think it, it all starts from that mid-basic level of what Kyle's saying, is carrying around that ball and the new norm. Yeah, no doubt. When it comes to culture, it's crazy. I actually recall of a soccer field being in the middle of townhomes and apartment complex. And every night at five, uh, Mexicans would come from the townhomes and predominantly Somalians lived in the um, apartment complex. And every night at 5.30, they would come onto the field. I mean, I'm talking about 80 people come onto one field. And, and watch their kids just playing. And it was segregation. But... It was a it was a segregation that was like needed to uh, break down the segregation where later their kids started going to school together and playing on the same team and then the same clubs and X Y and Z and that's where that 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 field was so symbolic it literally brought two cultures from two totally different continents together and it was pretty pretty impressive. So. Uh, yeah, I mean we. <laughs> we we even know that the so soccer and football and is correct me if I'm wrong it's the only sport to ever stop a war, right? And that, that is historically proven. I think it was World War One between I believe it was the English and the Germans, where they actually stopped. I think it was like what on Christmas Day or Christmas Eve, 
actually stopped the war. They went out and played for, you know, X amount of time. And then they're like, hey, see you in the morning. Good luck or <laughs> whatever, you know. So, but like, I remember when I was a kid, you know, and I was, I grew up, you know, when I was growing up, I played with kids and in the street or whatever, or we'd go down to the park and, you know, the gutters were the goals, you know, it's like five feet, but, you know, that just made you that better, that much better. Hopefully you weren't playing with like a size zero because then your ball gets engulfed by the gutter. So you had to play with like a four or a five, obviously. And I, I just remember like, yeah, playing under the lights and, you know, playing at the tennis court at like the local, like local school or whatever and having like the June bugs like fall on top of you because you're like, you're playing and, and your mom yelling at you to come home and like mom one more goal or whatever and i remember that i used to get cut up on my knees all the time uh like the carpet burn or like the burn that you get like on the uh like tennis courts uh, i used to have those all over my legs like people thought i used to get beat up or something <laughs> well kyle, kyle can correct me if i'm wrong but houston growing up in houston must have been really interesting at that time because especially in those years because Houston Dynamo were were yeah. notorious in the MLS for their orange kits and they were they were a great side very competitive so I, I think the scene down there was awesome during yeah. those years. Uh, so obviously you know the Dynamo got bought out they were the San Jose Earthquakes and I believe they won the title that year and then they got bought out and moved and they won back-to-back -back championships back to Houston and since then uh, I'm gonna get a lot of crap for this, but since then they haven't done a lot of much. Realize they make made it to the playoffs one year with something like that, or every other few years. But um, it, it's definitely a Central American, South American culture, no doubt. Um, you know, and because, like I said, like I mentioned earlier, you know, you have the drums, you have the music, and the tambourines that you have. You have like you know the the smoke, uh, you know, all sorts of stuff, which is great and everything, and no one's getting hurt and it's all about the pride and the, you know, the, the culture of that area. Um, and I, it, you know, I, 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 I said one time that I, uh, I didn't like it because I went to a playoff game about oh, maybe it was three years ago. They're playing the, they're playing the, uh, the Sounders uh, from Seattle. And I remember, and this is, this is one of the reasons why I don't like MLS. And this is one of the reasons why culture is so much different, right? And this conversation could go on and on. But it was a Saturday night. There was nothing going on in Houston besides this playoff game, right? Rockets weren't playing. Texans weren't playing. Astros weren't playing. All these major league teams, none of them were playing except for the Dynamo. There's no major concerts or anything, right? And the Dynamo had a BBA Compass Stadium, which is a gorgeous stadium, by the way. It's a very nice stadium, right? They sold out maybe half. Half. Like, like how? Like, it's a playoff game, right? The team's doing good, right? And they sold out half the stadium. Like, how? That's what I'm talking about with the culture, right? If that was if that was a European team, or there was like a tier three or tier four team, like championship or whatever, there would have been there would have been lines out the pub, you know, you know, over around the corner, <laughs> like people like people like hijacking Wi-Fi from other people to watch the game on their phones.
Yeah, in Minnesota, hockey is king. It's bigger than football. It's bigger than basketball. It is everything. And a lot of those um, kids played soccer. So I think uh, through their love of it in those years, it, you started seeing finally Minnesota get a team. And that was a huge thing for a city like Minneapolis to have an MLS team. Because for the longest time, they, they had a uh, whatever the league is below the MLS. And that's how sad it is. I don't even know what it's technically called because they've changed the name so many times. But back to, to the importance of a sport, um, hockey was everything and kids played in negative 20 degrees on the pond. And that's what needs, that, that's, that's the passion that Change needs to mind. exist. I mean, high school hockey is like Texas high school football. So very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> high school football in Texas is ridiculous. Like there's some, you know, division one high school football teams that can beat like a division two college football team it's just ridiculous like especially in houston houston we have i think i don't i don't know what the stat is but we have the uh, last handful of state championships that either been from houston or dallas you know of course we have you know katie and um, all sorts of other teams the woodlands is always up there as well and they always play like you know jesuit dallas or whoever it is you know all all, all these different teams and i went to a private school all my life so I know a lot of the private divisions, like 6A private and all that kind of stuff. So, um, like, high school football is ridiculous. And when I was in high school, and this is, um, I'm really aging myself, but when I was in high school and I graduated in 2006, right, a lot of that high school football, yeah, shut up, <laughs> a lot of that high school football energy actually bled into a high school soccer, um, which was great because, um, like, just going you know playing a you know a, a game on you know on a tuesday and then you play you know this you know it's a, a, a team and you know and there's you know 20 people in the stands right and then you go out and you play your your division rival or your your group rival whoever it is from right down the road and there's 200 people in the stands like that just i just, just blew me away and we were starting to get that back in the day. And I think it's getting better, obviously. And I, and I coached, and when I coached, it got better as well. Um, where would you guys like to see, like, the culture to go, like, here in the States? Endless. <laughs> like, you know what? I don't even have much to say on that because I think Kyle dream really covered it. I want that one school that's, you know, on the north end of town and the other side, uh, the, the school that's on the south end of town. When their students come together and the, the families and make up that full stadium and it's just full, that's where I want to see it go. I want to see it at the bottom level be awesome. I don't even care about the MLS. I don't care about that level at all, to be honest with you. And another level I want to see it to is that those players that have that talent are being channeled through the proper proper um, channels to, to go higher, to go into the colleges, to be scouted. That's where I want to see it go. And that's what I think will make it better on the top. And that's it.
Yeah, th there's no doubt that the EPL is the premier, no pun intended, premier league of, <laughs> of all the leagues, right? And there's a, there's a handful of other Until ones. Until they get to the Champions League. Yeah, there's a, um, yeah, there's a handful of other ones that are obviously right there with it or right below it. Uh, I think I would like to see, uh, you know, we've seen it in the last few years. I know I went, I saw uh, Man United and AC Milan play in LA a couple years back during the uh, US European Cup or whatever it is. And then, you know, we had, you know, we had Barcelona and Arsenal come this past year and some other ones. So I think those summer trips, those summer preseason trips will definitely help the culture and experience a lot better as well. Uh, I think that'd be great. Um, you know, we saw, I think it was Chelsea was playing in Houston. Um, and a handful of other teams, you know, and I think it's, was it Ohio now that is becoming the more the, the U.S. home for uh, U.S. soccer is Ohio. Um, and, and I think it's, a, it's one of them, if not one of uh, the, one, the best, I think. And, you know, um, there's a handful of other ones that are up there, too. Uh, but I think the expansion of those those areas as well which will definitely help and the World Cup will help this year and it'll obviously help in four years when you know we co-host with with our you know our northern and southern uh, friends uh, so I think I think it's on the right track and it's definitely gotten better probably probably the last five or so years and I definitely remember the competitiveness when I was a kid playing club ball and then going right back and playing high school like it's just it's ridiculous plus you know in private school you you know there's a there's a different money money values money itself is a different value from public school to private school so you know and they're funded differently and how they're organized and you know your conferences or your divisions or whatever so i think that a lot of that had to do with uh how things were ran um you know i was one of the smallest kids when i was in on a club team, and I got called Smalls because because I was one of the smallest kids. But I was one of the fastest, and I played wing. I was a winger at the time. And but on my high school team, on my junior high and then high school team, I was a you know I was the you know attacking mid. So I think it, it obviously changes a lot, and like just things that we've all discussed. I think that brings the culture more rounded, and I like to see, you know, I, I will I, and I I. I hope everyone does something like this is like bring someone who maybe likes soccer who do, who doesn't like it and bring them to like a watch party watch a usa versus england right that game's gonna be nuts watch usa versus iran that game's gonna be nuts like you know like they, these games are these, these games are gonna be great you know and you know even champions league even europa league europa league's got some great games too you know and i just and i if i've taken some people to some pubs i'm like Hey, just I'll buy you lunch. Just sit down and watch the game, and you'll just see. It's a completely different atmosphere. So, um, yeah, I, I I can't wait to see where it happens and where it goes, and uh, hopefully it's only up from here. So I uh, appreciate you guys for uh, jumping on the show with me today and discussing, uh, you know, everything that we got going forward, and uh, and <laughs> there's plenty more to come. So. For uh, Kenan and Jay, I appreciate you guys coming on and uh, talking with me. And it's always a good time with you two, my friends. And we'll talk to you soon.